I debated if I was going to tell you this or just let you figure it out and surprise you, but you're not getting one sermon today. You're not getting three. You're getting three sermonettes. So just so you're prepared for that. The first one is Isaiah chapter 1, 10 to 18. Listen to what God says. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices. What are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. And right now you're probably thinking, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about faithless service today. Why in the world is God telling, like is he saying it's worthless for us to serve people? What is going on here? Just wait. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. So here's why God is saying all these things. It's because they were doing all these things, which appeared wonderful for the wrong reason. They were doing them not out of thankfulness and respect and honor to God. They were doing it to try and prove themselves. They weren't doing it for God. They were doing it for themselves. They were trying to use all these service opportunities and all these offerings to make themselves look good to God. God's saying, no, that's not how it works. And if you try to do that, it actually makes everything worse because you cannot make yourself look good to me. He says, your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. That's God's word. I need to tell you a story. The 17-year-old girl opened the side door to her house as quietly as she could. She stepped inside, exhaled, slowly closed the door as quietly as she could. It shut. She listened for a second and then exhaled again. She knew she'd have to confront it at some point, but it was, it was late, she was tired, and she couldn't bring herself to do it tonight. So she started tiptoeing to her bedroom. And all the while, she was reliving and worrying. She was reliving the car accident she had just gotten into, which was her fault. She was driving too fast. She was driving too late at night. And she knew she wasn't really supposed to have the car out anyways. She was reliving it. And she was okay. And the car limped home. And now it was sitting out there on the curb. She'd have to deal with it, but not right now. So she tiptoed to her room, didn't turn the lights on, slid into bed, closed her eyes. And then she opened them. 
because there's no way she was going to be able to sleep now. Because she wasn't just reliving, she was also worrying about what her parents were going to say when they found out, especially her dad. And after tossing and turning for what seemed like hours, she must have fallen asleep because the next thing she heard was knock, knock, knock. She opened her eyes and feebly squeaked, come in. And her dad walked in. He didn't say anything. He just walked to her. He gave her a hug. And he said in her ear, I'm so thankful you're safe. Now let's go get you a new car. Now, I can hear your thoughts. You're like, what? How will she ever learn? That is the exact same thing the devil cries out when he hears verse 18 of Isaiah chapter 1. He says, no way! How could you do that? How could a father do that? When he hears Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. He says, how could God say that to the Israelites after all the things they had done and all the the ways that they had just tried to be their own savior and make themselves look good? How could he say it to the Israelites after everything else? How could he say it to anybody? How could God say that to you and me? That's what he says. God doesn't listen to the devil. God takes sin-stained people like me and like you, and he says, I have made you clean as the driven snow. I have taken all the stains out of you. There is not a blemish left on you, no matter what guilt or shame you are carrying right now. You are pure. Because he says, I've settled the matter. Do you know what that means for you as you live in the time in between, as you try to faithfully serve in all the different areas of your life? It means no fear. It means no guilt on your shoulders, no burden, only peace. Peace because of your Father's perfect compassion and His recklessly loving embrace. It means that all there is for you is peace because of your Savior Jesus's boundless love. Jesus, your boundless love to Oh
of Jesus's boundless love for you and for me and for all people, Paul tells us this in Romans. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform. Here's what that looks like now. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And here are some examples of that. By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. That doesn't mean think little of yourself. It just means look at yourself in reality. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members or many parts, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. That's God's word. Some questions for you. What is harder? Eating healthily for one day or eating healthily for 100 days in a row. What is harder? If you're trying to not drink alcohol or stop drinking alcohol, even though drinking alcohol is not a sin in and of itself, but if you're trying to stop doing it or not do it, what is harder? Not drinking alcohol for one day or not drinking alcohol for 100 days? What's harder? Forgiving someone one time, throwing away their sin, not holding it against them one time, or forgiving them a hundred times in a row. 
for the same thing. What's harder? Sacrificing your desires because it's the right thing to do in that case one time or sacrificing your desires because it's the right thing to do every single day? What is harder? We, I think you know the answer. The question is, why am I asking? And for that, we go back to verse 1. Because doing these types of things is what Paul says is your worship. Actually, he says this is your true and proper worship. And actually, if you translated it more literally, it would be this is your logical worship. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay? Not a one-time sacrifice, like in the Old Testament, that is burned up and gone and done, but a living sacrifice. Now, the picture is kind of gruesome, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. The picture is this. You sacrifice a lamb, and you burn it up completely, and it's still alive. And then you sacrifice it again and again and again, day after day after day, and it's a sacrifice, it's an offering, and you completely give it to God, but the lamb never dies. It's living. Now that's it's kind of hard to think about. But that gives you a picture of how difficult what Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And he says that is the only, that kind of sacrifice, a living sacrifice is the only logical thing to do with your life. I can hear your thoughts again. What? How? How is that? It doesn't seem very logical to me. It seems maybe like a high and holy calling, but it does not seem logical. But wait, there's two reasons. Number one, they're both from verse one. It's what Paul called you. He he said, brothers and sisters. And he didn't learn this from a DNA testing service. He didn't, he didn't need that because the blood of Jesus needs no test at all. Jesus' blood is the signature and the seal that makes your adoption into God's family 100% certain. It can't be erased. It can't be sent away. So you are God's children right along with Paul. And secondly, he says, in view of God's mercy, or like we just sang, in view of Jesus's boundless love for you. Like all of our love, your love for whoever it is in life that you love, there's boundaries around it. For a couple reasons, we don't love perfectly and we can't love in as big, like our love has to have boundaries because we have boundaries. Our lives, our time, our energy, we're, we're full of boundaries. But God's love there's no boundary. You see his mercy. His mercy is so great, so mind-blowing, so compassionate, so, so never-ending. And you're so focused on it because it's in view all the time. You have such confidence that you will have a perfect body, a perfect life, a completely full and peaceful existence forever and ever. You are so confident of that in view of God's mercy that you look at your life here, all of your life, your body included, and you think, oh, I guess I don't really need it all for myself because of God's mercy. And you say, wow, if I, if I have this kind of promise from God that lasts forever and ever, well, I guess the only logical thing for me to do right now 
with my life and my body and everything is just to offer it all as a living sacrifice over and over and over. It's the logical thing to do in view of God's mercy. Amen. Throughout almost the entirety of this worship series, we've been looking at parables Jesus tells from near the end of Matthew. We're going to look at one more today, and we've got one more next week. This one's pretty long, just as a warning. But as you listen, I want you to think about two questions. Number one is, does Jesus' parable scare you? And then number two, what in Jesus' parable do you believe? And what, if anything, in it do you not believe? Okay, Does it scare you? What do you believe? What do you not believe in it? Here's, here's the story. Jesus says, again, it, and by it he means the kingdom of heaven, like what does God's ruling in hearts of believers look like on this earth? Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, a man who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave sorry, five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Now, in former translations of the Bible, sometimes, maybe you're familiar, these are called talents. Um, here, it, it was money, and we have a different idea of talent today. But how much is this? Well, best estimate, in today's money, one talent is round about one and a half million dollars, which works out to on the average wages in America, it's give or take about 20 years of the average salary in America, or mean, average, I can't remember, mean or average, but one and a half million dollars, okay? That's the one talent. So the five talents, or the five bags of gold, would be seven and a half million dollars. So that's the amount we're dealing with here. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. 
and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is the word of our Savior Jesus. So first, does it scare you? Does the story scare you? Maybe it should. It's a pretty simple story, right? There's basically two halves. The first half, a guy who had a lot of wealth, he called three people, he said, hey, I'm going away, I'm entrusting this to you. You know, Use it, make it work for me. Hey, I'm trusting you with this. And then they, well, two of them did that. One does nothing. The second half, the master comes back. I'll say Jesus shows back up because he is the master in the story. And he sees two of them had put their entrustment to work and it had paid dividends. And one, he had not. With the two who had done you know, served faithfully, you might say. It's all happiness. It's all joy. It's, wow, come be with me. Share my happiness. And then the third one, he reports that he buried the money and Jesus calls him wicked, lazy, worthless. He's thrown out into outer darkness. Why did the third servant do that? It's because he was afraid. He said, I knew what kind of guy you are, so I was afraid. So he played it safe. It was like the saying, I, I think we all hear it probably more than we realize, safety first. Okay, and preface to this, I'm not against safety. Okay, safety is a good thing. But don't let safety, the good thing, become the all-encompassing ultimate thing. In other words, don't let safety overtake Jesus as first. Okay? One commentator put it this way. He said, safety first means safe careers, not productive, loving ones. Safe relationships means non-confrontational, easy relationships, not loving, truth-telling ones. Safe paths mean that you take the path of least resistance, not the best, most righteous path. So, does it scare you? Does it scare you to think that you and I might be a little bit like the third servant? I was scared, so I did nothing. And then Jesus throws him out. Does it scare you? I'm going to let that hang. Now we get to the second question. You remember it? What do you believe? And what do you not believe in Jesus' parable. And I'll jump right to it. Do you believe the third servant? Are his words trustworthy and true? Okay? He said, Master, I know you. You're a bad man. You're like Pharaoh. Your heart is so hard. You're selfish. Master, you take what's not yours. Because every time you hear a story or an anecdote or anything, watch a movie, read a book, you have to decide who's telling the truth and who's not. You have, to, you have to decide who you're going to trust and who you're not going to trust. So the question is, do you trust the third servant? When he says, I'll actually quote his words, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. You're a hard man. You're like Pharaoh. You're selfish. Hopefully, you listen to that and you think, that's, that's not my Jesus. 
I, I don't know what experience that third servant had, but that's, that's, that's not the Jesus that I know. I heard a pastor say to his church, what if I stood up here and preached to you like that third servant preached? If I stood up here and said, let me tell you about my Jesus. He's a nasty Jesus. He's got a hard heart. If you mess up his investments, you're dead. You're worthless. If, if he comes back and you've done something he doesn't like, you're done for. The pastor said, if I preached like that, I hope that in your heart you would say, that's not my Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do as listeners of this story. Anyone, any one of you and me who listens to the third servant, you should have these thoughts in your head. Actually, let's have these thoughts in our head right now. Think, like, obviously, he's never met my Jesus, like the Jesus who heals lepers, the Jesus who forgives sins. You might, you might speak back to the third servant. You'd say, third servant, you say he's a hard man? I say he's a gentle man. I say he's a humble man. Third servant, you say he's a bad guy? I say Jesus, my Jesus is the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Third servant, you say, you say again, no, he's a hard man. Look, look at how straightforward he is. Well, I say, I say he's full of grace. I say he's full of compassion. You say, third servant, that Jesus is selfish? I say, you don't know him. Because Jesus is the master of the universe who became my servant. Not because I asked him to or because I deserved it or because I'm great. No, he just did it out of love. And I have the proof, third servant, to back it up because I watched him die. And my Jesus, he died for me and then he came back to life. And, third servant, my Jesus, he entrusts me with his wealth which means two things, third servant, that I am rich. And if I'm entrusted with Jesus' wealth, it means I have a lot to offer to everyone else. Do you trust? Do you believe the third servant? His story would scare you. It should. But Jesus' story it doesn't need to scare you. It can just give you comfort. Because the story, it's not, it, it's not totally about the servants. It's more about the master. That's the first person who is mentioned. Again, it will be like a man. I mean, who, who's in charge here? The man who has servants. That's you and me. And for your whole life here, the whole time in between, when you start living, and either when you die, or when Jesus comes back, whichever comes first. This whole life is your master who loves you, who has given up his life for you. He's saying, here, take a little bit of my wealth. And throughout your entire life, go make use of it. Make it work. Give glory to me. Honor me. Use my wealth. Use all your money, your bags of gold. Use all your energy. Use your time. Use your abilities, your talents. Use them all in honor of me and to bless other people. Does this story scare you? No, it doesn't have to. So, with all the comfort 
and all the peace in all the world because of who our Jesus is, who the true Jesus is. While we wait in the time in between, let's make like those first two servants and use everything well, everything that Jesus has entrusted you with. And because, remember back to Isaiah, he's already settled the matter. He said, your sins, your bloodstains, they're as white as snow. You're pure. I've declared it. I've settled it. So as we use everything, let's do it with peace and comfort. Amen.